0: Welcome to Prophets Error, the podcast where we celebrate life in academia through the failures we've experienced, not to celebrate the ways in which we fell down, but the ways in which we've gotten back up. In this episode, Fred Sherritt, Associate Director for University of Colorado's Construction Safety Research Alliance, joins us to talk about her career and how she struggled with getting funding for her research vision for years and how she coped with it and what she did. It's a really interesting one and hopefully enjoy it. Well, welcome to i Error, uh, joined, as always, by Professor Brian Franz, but not, as always, by uh, Dr. Fred Sherratt. Fred, Brian, how are you both doing today? Pretty good.
1: Excellent. Thank you, Dave.
0: Yeah, I'm glad you're here, Fred. You're the, uh, the Associate Director for the CSRA, which I'm going to forget what CSRA stands for, even though the, the leader of the group's two doors down from my office. So tell us about mm-hmm. maybe uh, what, do you, what do you do initially, and we'll, we'll dive into some of our discussion here.
1: Um, so, yeah, so CSRA, Construction Safety Research Alliance. So we are an industry funded organization, um, of construction, utility, um, firms across the US and Canada. So we're North American. We've, we're pretty much not far off having a hundred companies working with us and we are, we do the research they want us to do. So we are funded by industry. They get to pick projects. Topics that they want us to explore and unpack. And then I am one of the um, associate directors for research. So I lead on as a PI um, for those projects on an ongoing basis. So I currently um, running down to closing out a project in November on safety culture. Uh, I've just picked up one on decluttering safety and I often run little side hustles around things like zero and stuff like that as I go. So yeah, so I, I am in an absolutely dream job. All I do is research. Um, and it's absolutely magic.
0: I feel like that organization has just grown like wildfire too, cause it started. Mm-hmm. Four years ago, five years? I mean, it's a fairly it's young fifth, organization. It's our fifth
1: year birthday this year. Yeah,
0: that's crazy. Have, I mean, to have mm-hmm. that many companies basically buy in, that's great that it's it's grown so, so fast. So when did you join CSRA?
1: Um, I, so I worked a little bit with the team. I mean, I know, I've known Matt Hallowell, who's in charge for a long, long time, because we met through different research networks, things like that, out, um, just being academics, I guess. Um, and then I was lo- helping out a little bit on a project. Um, but then when the opportunity came up, when the funding, when we got enough companies, um, that there was a viable position, um, it, it kind of just fell into place so beautifully. <laughs> um, and, um, so I've been kicking around here now it'll be two years in April um, that I will have been with the team. Um, And yeah, we are absolutely growing. It's our fifth birthday um, and we'll be celebrating that at our research summit this November coming.
0: That's great. So maybe tell us a little bit about your process then of of getting there, right? I think you have kind of an interesting backstory (laughs) because you're not maybe the super traditional academic path. So tell us about nope. young Fred's journey to be Dr. <laughs> Fred, uh, associate uh, director of uh, research journey.
1: Okay, so so we have to go back to when I was 18, and I just left oh um, school, yeah. which we call college in England. I know, sorry about this. It's, it's, yeah, it's a long have... and winding trail.
0: <laughs> we're gonna have to keep asking for what, is, what do you mean by this? What does that mean? <laughs> yeah,
1: I know, and everything's in English. I <laughs> so, um, so, so yeah, so I finished my A-levels, I was 18, going to uni was probably not going to be a very smart decision. In fact, my mum tells me that's the best decision I've ever made was to say, nah, not going to happen. But I had to get a job. Um, she did insist on that so I could pay some rent. So I just went to the local temp agency, got a job as a site secretary, because luckily I could type. My mum had been in computers earlier, so we always had them knocking around the house. So I could type. So away I went and I was a secretary. Um, and then I did a bunch of weird jobs. I worked in a juice factory. I worked for AstraZeneca for a few years, um, on various places. But then I got sent to a construction job site. Um, and oh, what a, what a dream gig that was. You could swear. You could shout at men. You made lots of cups of tea. You had bacon sandwiches every Friday and you could still smoke in your office back then as well. So it was an absolute (laughs) dream. And I bounced around a number of jobs in Manchester in the northwest of England, best city in the world. And, um, so there's a bunch of them that i had a bits and bobs to do with and then i ended up getting a full-time job with them um i went to astrazeneca that was a mistake don't 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 work for blue chip companies and then I, and then i ended up back on a job site because i quit that i was like right I'm, I'm done with this i'm going back on site and um they took me on as a document controller they sent me to college so i did a hnc which is an industry qualification they then topped it up with an undergraduate degree which i was wasn't expecting because I'd taken all the options that let me do like colouring in and drawing and all the architectural stuff. And then they put me on the construction management degree and I had to catch up and do law and estimating and all the options that I jibbed out of because they look boring. And so I had to pick all those. I got my degree. And then at the end of that, they said, we want you to do a PhD. And by that time, I was also senior planner uh, for Lang O'Rourke as it was then. Yeah, O'Rourke had bought us out. So Lang O'Rourke, big contractor in the UK. And um, so... My university said, do you want to do a PhD? And I said, yeah, all right. My mum's got one in marine zoology. That's that sounds pretty cool. Um, and so they were offered to half fund it. I went to speak to Lang Rock and said, are you interested in this? And they hadn't really. Cause this was like back in the day. So construction firms weren't as proactively getting people on master's degrees and PhDs. I was the very first one that actually even raised it. And I had to go down to London to meet Paddy O'Rourke, who was Ray O'Rourke's brother who, who owns the firm. And he let me walk out of there with a signed agreement to sponsor me for half the PhD funding. And so I kept working for them. I did my PhD part-time. Um, For five years and it was all about safety. So it was really interesting. So I'd done my undergrad. So Ray O'Rourke's an awesome character. Great guy for our industry. Fantastic. But he's deliberately controversial and I love him for it. So he actually said in a conference that women weren't needed on site. Right, And he was being deliberately controversial. I obviously was a woman that was working on one of his sites and I was like, hey, hey! no, not happy with that. <laughs> so I wrote my undergraduate dissertation arguing precisely why you needed women on site, mm-hmm. which was in large part to stop the um, poor health and safety basically because if everybody can't do like all this super macho man stuff you've got to change what folks are doing so i was arguing that putting more women on job sites will actually make it better for all the blokes that were there as well and there's loads of women in the world that really really like swearing they like band that they they love it you know it's a different work environment i am never going to fit in anywhere like that i can't really just sort of be me in it so anyway so I've done that and then in my Viva for my undergrad dissertation, they said I mentioned a bit about safety culture, and one of the um, the guys examining me was like, that's what your research is going to be on. So I set out to fix safety culture. <laughs> that was a load of yeah, that was ambitious, right? Uh, of course I haven't managed to do that and didn't manage to do that, still haven't. Yeah. Um, but um we've now got um so so but by the time I got into it, I did my whole PhD on safety, um, I ended up um finishing that off, and um, by the time it got to the end, 2008 had happened, right, so massive global recession, the funding dried up, the Conservative government in the UK cancelled schools for the future. And, yeah, I am going to make a political point that maybe we shouldn't have done that because all the RAAC concrete that's now failing in the UK, that was what we were supposed to be replacing back then. But they cut the funding. So now all the schools are falling down. But um, so there was no work. I was a site manager. So I was the equivalent of a superintendent. I've never owned a suit and I'm never going to. So I wasn't a project manager. In fact, I got told, here you go. Here's I got told, if you don't dress more smartly, how am I going to promote you? And I went, yeah, I'm okay where I am, thanks. (laughs) Because I always liked being out in amongst it rather than sitting in meetings all day. I can't imagine anything more boring. So, um Oh, you see, I've distracted myself now. So, so this might happen a lot. Okay. Um, so anyway, so recession hit. I looked around. It was me and a bunch of blokes, obviously, all of whom were older than me. And I thought, you know what? I've probably got an out here that y'all haven't. So I'll jump. So I took the redundancy and I went into academia and ended up doing hourly paid lecturing while I'm finishing off my PhD. And then I got a permanent job lecturing at uni, got another job as senior lecturer then I got um, and, and then I moved down to Anglia Ruskin, finished my Ph.D. All of that happened. And then I ended up in the academic world. So here I am. Basically, it was it was I spent over 10 years in industry before I even got vaguely here. So
0: I, I guess I'd be interested to go back one step. So you had said you had met with like the owner of the company and got them to co-sponsor your Ph.D. Yes. What was your. Pitch?
1: Well, his brother. what was his pitch I guess well because
0: I just think like oftentimes I don't think of industry as jumping at the opportunity to bond this is it so how did you make your pitch
1: so I was really lucky in the fact that Paddy O'Rourke and God rest his soul he's not with us anymore was an absolute visionary of a bloke he was really involved in the graduate schemes that they were running at the company about how they could bet. So the reason I knew of them was because I was a sponsored student. So they took me on to do my HNC. So I was secretary. They made me document controller and then enrolled me at college. So then I I went to do all through that. So I had a liaison who I knew that worked in London and it was her that I rang up and said, uni have said about a PhD. Is that totally random? And she went, well, no one's ever asked before. Let's see what happens. And then I got a phone call like, a little bit late saying, uh, Paddy wants to see you down in London. So I had to immediately rush to a hairdresser because I looked like <laughs> I've been dragged through a hedge backwards and could not set foot in the corporate HQ looking the way I usually did. Found some clothing that wasn't covered in mastic and mud and shit like that. And then I ended up having to go down. And I think I, I remember I don't remember the meeting too much because I was literally terrified, obviously. This sort of You don't me as a person who be man. shaken. Is that wait that <laughs> that seems like a different you like
0: you seem very now, confident No, I guess and comfortable well, to your... some
1: extent. It's 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 weird, isn't it, how we I I guess it was like the kind of yeah, Paddy wants, Oh my god. So I've actually gotta go and do something decent. And um so i went down and and we just had a great chat what was it i wanted to research i was going to look at safety culture i was going to do it in these different ways with some um sort of more social sciencey things and 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 he was just like yeah go for it it's a part time phd they're really cheap that helps as well yeah cuz they're not they're not the, the 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 fee levels of undergraduate by any stretch so he was taking a punt on me and he did. And I, I'm, I'm so pleased that it ended up where it did. And um, I actually, in the, I, I wrote a book a few years ago of my greatest hits of safety, basically, um, which is of course dedicated to Paddy. And I think I actually said in the front, where is it, come on. Where is it? Acknowledgements. Thanks must go to Paddy O'Rourke and Julia Stevens for the opportunity to make it happen. Taking a punt on some sketchy mank from a job site up in the North West who turned up and said, Oh, mate, do you want to give us some money to do a PhD? Um, And he said, yes, and the rest is history.
0: I mean, do you ever look at yourself and just be like, what What was it you were illustrating as a person that would have made him do that? Like, obviously, you seem very confident and sharp now. Like, did you have yeah. innovative ideas or, like, were you suggesting? Like, what, what What was your behavior like at the time that would make him say <laughs> this is worth that kind of money? Because that's a gamble, this right? Was, like, as it was, you, it you left. Like, They didn't know they're going to see a return on that investment. That was a gamble.
1: It was. I think... I mean, I think the way I got into the business was really quite helpful. So I just went on total ground floor. I didn't turn up with a degree and and, and have any claims that I knew anything that what I was doing. I made the tea for two years. That's what I did, which, by the way, is actually underrated as a job. I was also a document (laughs) controller. And that was before we all had everything was electronic. In fact, one of my earliest jobs, I ran the computer. Hey, that's how old I am, but um, but putting drawings in numerical order is also incredibly satisfying um, <laughs> as a as a as a as a means of employment. So it's it's. I think I don't know. I think it was partly Paddy's vision, but also I guess you've just got to be true to what you want to do. And I'd seen. I mean, that's what the reason I do safety research is because I've worked on job sites where people have died. I've worked on job sites where we've had to call the ambulance and I've worked on job sites where we had to put money in the pot every week because some poor bugger has no social security. They have no way of paying their mortgage. And that is always what I wanted to do. Um, it, it's, it, it, partly the subject. And I'm always super passionate about that. I mean, why I've never been able to do the sort of person to do research that make something more efficient to make somebody more money. I'm mm. I'm I'm not very good at being commercial or capitalistic at all. So I guess in part the passion for the subjects I think is really important. You have to have a reason for doing what you do, particularly in academia, um because that's what drives you. And I'm norm I, I, I have to say I'm normally driven by being really pissed off about stuff. So <laughs> shit annoys me. There is nothing more motivational than being pissed at something and really wanting to make it different. And that's pretty much what I did.
0: <laughs> I know this is going to be ripping the bandaid off because both of you are not going to like what I'm going to say. But as a technology person, I know that's not either of you. I always say that's the best way to start, though. Start with what annoys you. Because if you define yes. a problem really well, I don't mm-hmm. know if this solution becomes easy, but at least the solution becomes clear of what would define mm-hmm. better or fixed or improved or whatever the thing is. And so like, I, I think that's actually a really good way. I mean, what pisses you off? Go, go do that then. Go solve that. You know, It's a good good approach.
1: It really is. but um, And that's where you end up with an interesting paradox yeah. because people are like, oh, wearable tech safety for, for safety on construction sites. That isn't actually an annoying problem. Isn't where are all my workers right now? Yeah. Nobody ever sat there Everything and thought, was. God, it's pissing me off. Yeah. I don't know where anybody is. That isn't the problem. and And so we're putting tech into a solution space that <laughs> ain't exactly. one.
0: I'm, as a tech person, I still agree with it. Like, this is part of our problem. To, to, <laughs> look, I'm a geek. You're seeing behind me. I don't know it's all audio only. But behind me, I've got, like, video game. I've just got, like, tech stuff around me. But like that's the point and yes, it's exciting, but that doesn't lead to good work. I think you have to start no. with what is the undeniable problem. I, I frequently tell people like, what is the problem that you could tell to someone who hates technology? And even they would say, Yes, that's a problem. Right? Too many mm-hmm. people are getting injured. Okay, you don't have to like technology, mm-hmm. but if technology gets fewer people injured, one would think you would yep. be on board with that. So yeah, makes sense.
1: I don't I don't have a problem with appropriate application. Sure. I'm just not seeing a lot of it. Mm-hmm.
0: So
2: so I'm assuming that you took this passion for safety, and once you became a faculty, you then championed that the whole way through? You obtained tons of, tons of funding uh. in order to support what it is that you were interested
1: in? Oh, Brian, is, if only that, that were true. Is that how that went down? No, ahead? absolutely the opposite. <laughs> okay. So... I start, so so I was at Bolton, I was doing some safety stuff there, obviously papers were coming out of my thesis, um, although I've still not forgiven safety science for not publishing my one on culture that I wrote years ago, uh, but they might have had a point now, I've matured a little, um, but, um, so, no, I, I so I was at, at um, Bolton Uni for uh, three years and that's where I finished up my PhD, my supervisors there, awesome bunch of guys. And then I moved to down south to Anglia Ruskin. And I and I had a real interesting chat with my late my new head of school. So I'm in the engineering built environment department. Me and the new head of school started on the same day in summer. So there was nobody else there, which was great. If, if you want a strategy for integrating yourself with leadership, start work on the same day they do and no one else is in the office. Because me and him became good mates because there was nobody else there to have a cup of tea with. Um, because colleagues were quite rightly, by the way, having a, a well-earned rest from the uh, from the semester that had just finished. But it was super curious that, that that turned out the way it did. Anyway, we sat down and he was chatting away, what is it you do? And I said, I'm, I do health and safety research. Well, I mainly do safety research because health's a whole other gig, by the way, um, although they do get bundled together. And, uh, and he literally just went, Fred, there's no money in that. I went, all right. He said, what you need to do, my love, Facilities management or sustainability. This was before tech got all big and exciting still. And uh, and I looked at this and I thought, oh, my God, how boring is that? Sustainability, I, I have a kind of weird vision around sustainability because it, it, and, and my lectures on it were always a bit random um, because I'm kind of of the impression that if humans are doing something, they are part of the natural existence. And maybe this is just us extincting ourselves and that's OK. And then somebody else can take over. So I'm not very good on the Adam and Eve Garden of Eden theory of sustainability, which is we should be caring for everything. I think what happens is if we screw it up enough to kill our, that's okay. And then another species can have a go. Um, But um, so those were always fun lectures. (laughs) So sustainability, I fundamentally kind of have an inner problem with. Facilities management's lovely. Um, and, And in one, actually, I had a random situation where I actually applied to be director of estates. Uh, for one of the universities because I'm actually also, I still have my, I'm a chartered builder and I'm a chartered building engineer from back in the day, and I've maintained those professional qualifications, so that kind of kind of helps with that. But neither of those, I mean, I couldn't think of anything more worth doing than safety. Um, but you know what? He was absolutely right. There's absolutely bugger all money in it. Nobody cares. There was a big surge. I mean, research in construction does go through waves. I mean. Safety kind of got usurped by women in construction and equality, and then that faded to sustainability. Then we kind of had a little bit more of a research on that, but it just got then everything got swept away into tech. and And I think this is I mean, this is just the human condition massively accelerated by the technological tools we have now. But we have. Um, so, for example, even in the world of health and safety research, which does get blobbed together, um, we've now got well-being. We've now got mental health and, and we're, we're, we're kind of always chasing the next shiny thing when actually we're still killing people. So I'm, I'm, I'm firm. And this is why I love working at the CSRA, because all we care about are serious injuries and fatalities. If, if you've sprained your ankle, I'm really not that arse. I just don't want you to die. Okay, so that's, that's where all our research goes and where my focus is as well.
0: You know, it's interesting when you say that it was it was a struggle to get money and there's no money in safety because some of the other earlier episodes we did was all about you know for supporting junior faculty right that's a lot of the people who are listening grad mm-hmm. students perspective junior faculty and we're talking about like you have to make the case that it's not just informing someone of your idea but my idea is worth your money and that's kind of yes. making your pitch it almost seems to me like I, I'm not a safety researcher but it just seems like there's no better pitch than fund this or people continue right. to die like it just seems like that's the ultimate win so it's Odd that you'd be like, ah, oh, there's no funding in it. It's just, it's, it just seems would, counterintuitive, right?
1: Which is why I think the CSRA works because it's industry funded directly. Yeah, maybe. I'm not having to go through some research council that has its own themes for the year yeah. or whatever. There was a time when the European councils were funding safety research. Mm-hmm. It was about three years before I got near it, obviously, when it all sort of died up. There are other options, although, I mean, it, it's, and I am going to tell this story because it's super funny, but um I do a lot of work around zero, use of zero targets and how they're a terrible idea in safety, because they're for all sorts of reasons. And and I hopefully I've literally, just before this particular session, resubmitted a, a revise and resubmit on a paper that looks at the um evidence within the American construction industry statistics of its effectiveness, by the way preview there isn't any evidence that it works or it doesn't so um, but there's loads of other theoretical problematic situations around it so I wanted to do some research on zero. and um, there's an organization in the UK who I will not name who give out regular funding not loads of it not millions but a decent enough chunk to make you look like you're doing all right um, so I with a colleague um, and a massive the support of a massive project in London Right. We pull together this thing. We're going to look at zero. We're going to look at what happens when you have different zero policies intersecting on a site. What does that do for coherence of safety messaging? And how does it actually impact the kind of workers reception to, to safety management approaches? So I schlep all the way to um, the north of England from Essex to present our research idea. And I can see as they go around the table. One of the guys in the room, who's one of the judges on this, is the guy that invented Zero Harm in the UK.
0: Oh, right? On. No bias. Yeah, there. I was. I, how <laughs> you're sweet out. was okay. I? Oof.
1: Goodbye. And 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 literally, I got the vibes of him going. All right, then. Come on, then show me what you can. And 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 it was the end of the day as well. These guy, everyone in the room was tired. I actually got thanked for having some life and energy about myself. But the second I I, I nah, I'm not going to get this. And guess what? I didn't. So sometimes you just walk into a, an absolute nightmare. Um, and I mean, the whole zero harm thing's continuing. The ILO, are still championing it and all sorts of things. I was at a recent event um, in Australia where it was all flag waving for zero, but Show me some scientific evidence, dudes, that it works and I, I might get on board your train. But as far as I can tell, there ain't any. Um, and having been working on a job site when it first got launched in the UK, I know how it landed because I was in amongst it and it wasn't well, good. So not the best idea. But yeah, so it, it's it's. It's interesting. Research councils have their themes. You can't get money in the UK if you haven't got a tech element. Nobody cares for anything apart from tech. The British government has just gone both feet in, jumped right into that space and you've not really got anything else. But it is. And I think the reason that the CSRA works is because industry still care. They really do. They absolutely care. So it may be that for your funding sources, giving a, a little bit of advice to folks that might be listening and have managed to put up with my accent this long, try and um think think round corners with your funding. Don't, th- th- there were only so many times I could face being kicked back by the same research council again and again, even when you've got things of an international state, the support letters that you've got, everything looks absolutely awesome. And they are still like, yeah, no. Yeah. I
0: mean, it's just going to okay. be deflating, right? Like that sucks when you're starting it. You're like, you're trying to build this portfolio out of nothing. And let's face it. Yep. Like, when you're starting in as academic, it's a little bit vulnerable because you're kind of given this major <laughs> task of find someone who wants to pay you and we're the university. Yep. It's not us. Find someone else. Like that's, it's a pretty big lift, and to have someone be like, "This thing that you spent your whole time, your whole career being passionate about, don't do any of that." Like that's got to just suck mm-hmm. the life out of you, too.
1: Well, you've got two options: you can either get depressed, or you can get really pissed off. Mm. Um, and I, I tend to choose the latter. I
0: think a lot <laughs> so I'm just don't. like,
1: "Well, I, mean, I know," and you know? this is this is the problem. You've yeah. got to have a hide like a rhino to be an academic. Your whole career is people telling you what's wrong with what you're doing. Mm. Paper reviews do that. Reviews of your bids do that. Your students get to do that at the end of every lecture module. You know, it's it's your whole life is is being critiqued. Um, and I, I guess I guess we're 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 lucky we're not all supermodels and it's not on what we look like. But it's even worse. It's kind of like it's kind of all your yeah, you're not smart enough or you're not novel enough or you're not interesting enough or all these kinds of things it's 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 a hard path to take but it's equally really rewarding when you get it right
2: but it's interesting because I mean when I talk to my students when I'm advising my students and we're trying to sort of refine their research ideas I mean a lot of my advice is you know what are you passionate about right like what are Mm -hmm. you really interested in because I know that they're going to do better work if we find them something that that they really care about um, but then when you become a faculty, all of a sudden, yeah, you can still care about something. But it, the reality is that in order to get funding, yeah. you, you can't necessarily just follow your passion without revising your strategy a little bit. And I, I feel like I am in kind of the same way as, as you with you know, safety research may not being maybe may being a little harder to, to fund. Project mm-hmm. delivery research is kind of that way, too. Like th- there's not, there's not a lot of support at like the national level to, to do project delivery research. A lot of it comes from industry and, mm-hmm. and just professional organizations who are interested, who are still interested in this because it's the day to day, like it's what they live, yeah. right? It's not something that's high in the sky that might happen 20 years from now. Um, it, it's very grounded. And so I, I think I run into the, the same challenge and I've had to kind of, I've, I've been, I found my role as more of a. Integrator, or something that's kind of that's often tacked on to some of these other um, studies that are being done, maybe on the mm-hmm. technology side. Oh, here's the human side of it, or here's the, you know, the organizational <laughs> side of of mm-hmm. this technology application. And I found myself kind of getting pulled in there because it at least lets me do some of what I enjoy doing, which is the the project delivery stuff, in a way that is still supportable.
1: You, that's what you've got to do. You've got to you've got to be able. I think you can you can pretty much do anything you want as long as you can still look at yourself in the mirror, and that's the important thing. And you still are able to retain your own integrity. And some people seem to. Well, I won't say they have no integrity, <laughs> but you do you do get some flighty little butterfly that'll do anything. They'll just go where the money is. They'll just switch, do whatever. Um, I've been incredibly lucky, but but like going back, I, I mean, I've only ever won. £40,000 personally in my whole life. And that's bugger all. That's, that's, that's not even decent money any, by any stretch in anybody's book. And that wasn't safety. That was about cooperative construction and reorganizing micro projects so that sole trader builders could come together since, and I had to put tech in it as a platform. So that small, it was, it was proposing a platform for sole traders to collaborate on house, on projects like a one house thing. Mm-hmm. For a village or something, so it was it was trying to take construction back to its grassroots rather than trying to scale every. And even then, I'm like, how could we scale this up? I'm like, that isn't the point. But anyway, um, <laughs> so it's 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 about what doing what you can do and still living with yourself. And it may be that you're you're okay with taking a few little side hustles, which is great. There are maybe people that you enjoy collaborating with on what they do. So I, I have worked with colleagues on, if you look at what I've published, it's all, it's very all over the place. I mean, I've got publications in forensic science journals because of who I was supervising in professional doctorates and things like that. So there's always interesting things. Most stuff's actually interesting, but you need to be able to develop a network. And this is where colleagues are so important if i didn't have the network of people around the world that i do that we all know we're doing the right thing for the right reasons and so we can help back each other up and support each other is um is super important i think
0: did you ever feel impacted from the pressure? Like I, I, we always, I always hear the term like publish or perish. But I feel like with yep. that, there's also this pressure to like you gotta get funding. Like, did you feel external pressure, or was this? Did you, yeah. Did you care? Like, what, I'm curious. Like, how did? Because you mentioned you only got forty forty grand in terms of like, like, month. like <laughs> yeah, that that's... would seem maybe scary. I don't know if that impacted you.
1: Um, the the the, the publishing thing. So. I mean, it depends where you want to go. It, it got... I didn't really start to have any... Um, well, obviously, by my career path as laid out. I'm not the world's most ambitious, but I'm more of just let's see what's going on and is it interesting. Um, so I didn't really have big ambitions until quite late in my academic career when I thought I'm actually quite near being a full profit. If I put a bit of welly in, I'll get there. Um, and that'll make me mum quite proud. So that's, um, that was <laughs> really good motivation. Um, and because my sister just kept telling everyone I was a professor anyway because I'm a bit weird and she found that was an easy shorthand and people excused an awful lot of my behaviour. result of that so uh i obviously had to actually do it so she wasn't a big liar um but um i think that that trying to get the money is is so so there's four things in academia always pubs pennies profile and phd supervisions and it's the four p's that's every if you want to do anything in academia you've got to hit all those four um so with the pennies yeah how's i gonna you you the way that you can strategically do that is collaborate with colleagues on much bigger bids where you're part of large network bids where you can you can claim to have won 5.6 million you haven't of course your university's got 400 grand of that and you You've only got like 25p, but it's, it, it kind of worked. That's, that's probably the way to get around it. I, I try, I didn't personally feel a bunch of pressure, but I, I don't, I, I'm not very good at sort of doing things the proper orthodox way. Um Publications, however, is totally different because I love writing. I've written two unpublished novels. I've written an awful lot of things that I am I'm, I'm a frustrated writer that found a job that enabled me to write and get paid for it.
0: <laughs> so so just looking at though that reaction like you said you, you're saying I, I'm not good at doing things the proper way like I think you're joking. Like that's obviously a strength you have. That's clearly one of the things you possess. I'm almost wondering. Do you think that's because you grew up by academics and they weren't intimidating to you? I mean, you had mentioned. I think both your parents. Are-
1: oh, I see. Oh no. Well, my mum has a PhD in marine zoology. My dad um, screwed up his um, experiments. We put his in the bin. But he was also a marine zoologist. Um, so he 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 did nearly all the work, but just never wrote up. Um, so, and, and, and well, yeah, so this is interesting. Oh, I forgot. I didn't go back far enough in my life.
0: God. Cause when I was <laughs> born, I want to hear where this goes. I'm curious.
1: So, so when I was born, I was actually born, my parents were wardens at a university hall of residence. So when I was born, I moved straight into university halls. Hmm. Um, there were about 120 people at my first birthday party, all undergrad students. Yeah. Um. So I've been to I've been to uni by the time I was two. Man, we only we only moved when my um when my little sister was born. I just so, wonder
0: if, like that might have had it because we we talk so many times about like one of the things that really impacted me was like this concept of imposter syndrome, and I'm always worried that they're gonna okay, realize so, yeah, I'm not yeah, good yeah. enough, and I'm the idiot, and all this. But like it sounds like you were sort of the opposite. Because You're like, yeah, I was born here. I'm this is home. I'm you know I'm not. None of this is scary or daunting or intimidating, and all of that. <sighs>
1: I don't know, because I, I didn't get that on job sites either, hmm. though. And and you could argue as a woman, I mean, I never, women on construction, if you can do your job, nobody cares. It's 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 one of my favourite places I've ever worked, and I will champion it till the end of the earth. I had far more sexism and misogyny working at uh, any other sort of company, and including in academia, by the way. Get yourself on a job site if you actually want to be valued for what you contribute. <laughs> anyway, um, it's it's... I don't think, I mean, this is, it, it depends on the, the, the kind of, it's, it, it very much depends on what credibility and, and sort of assumptions you put into how you think people who are professors are. Mm-hmm. So I think I've grown up... Yeah, you're quite right. Does having a PhD impress me? Not really, because my mum had one. And I know loads of people with them. Does being a professor? No, because there were always loads of them knocking about. Because my, my parents were doing their PhDs. That's where my mum met my dad, was in zoology department at Manchester University. So am I intimidated by that? No. I've also always been of the mindset. So I was always like... Even when you were at school and you were a kid, loads of people are like, oh, the teachers. And I'm like... Yeah, they're people. And I think the more you don't get yourself... Let, don't let yourself be in awe of these baubles. Because loads of academics, I'm really sorry, they're massive arseholes. And they really are. They're arrogant. They have these kind of assumptions that they are better than anybody else. And that, to me, is just, pfft. Yeah. Why, why would I want to... Hide? So, So as soon as you start to realise that everybody's just people... And they're all just trying their best and some of them are idiots because they're people and there are a bunch of idiot people and there were nice people and good people and people you want to go for a beer with and people you don't. And so it's, it's, it's not so much that I would, I, I think you need to, yeah, the imposter syndrome thing's really interesting because sometimes the day I got promoted to deputy dean for research and innovation in my faculty, I remember I laughed to myself in bed for half an hour because I could not believe, I couldn't stop chuckling. Yeah. I had had a couple of bits, but I just, I was just like, this is crazy. Look what I have managed to, this is brilliant. But I saw it as something fun yeah. rather than something worrisome or that I then had to live up to. I, I, I just was like, this is crazy. Yeah. Let's see how it goes. But that's kind of been my approach to life. I suspect I've, I've never, my, my A-level grades in the UK were terrible. I, I, really, I, I just never really sort of really sort of had a plan as such, but it was more, let's see what happens and let's grow into that. And, and it worked for me. I don't know if that's helped for anybody, but just remember everybody's just still a person underneath. And even that guy from in, in the zero meeting, when he pushed his chair back and folded his arms and he just gave me a look that said, all right, then what are you going to say to me? And I just, oh, you sad, sad, death. all right. But I wasn't intimidated. Mm. There's only one person in the world that's actually proper intimidated me and that's Mrs. Dorothy Perdue who runs... Um, Chamney's health resort, who I met when I was sixteen, and she scared the shit out of me so much I am still in awe of that woman. <laughs>
0: Why or how? What was the? What was this? Word? But that's it? it.
1: No, no. I was at I was at her spa, and I had some tattoos, and she gave me a really. She was formidable. You know what formidable English women are like. I'm not formidable, but there is a certain species that is formidable. Right. Think of that. The Queen. She was pretty formidable. Anyway, so formidable. And she 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 just like. Taught me to it's Just, why have you got there? These are terrible. And I'm like, yes, Miss Perdue, no, Miss Perdue. Mm-hmm. Wow. <laughs> and it was, it just a bit. So that kind of stuck with me. But other than that, no. I think it's a good. Everybody's like the same, you know. No, because yeah, exactly. you're also.
0: It's it's not even just like a feel good. Th- like you're going to be better if you don't elevate someone to that level, right? Like everyone Never still that. needs to fall asleep, and if they don't eat by noon, they're going to get grouchy. Whatever. Exactly. Like we're all just these analog <laughs> beings. Like <laughs> all of our titles are sort of. Elaborate disguises that we've all just kind of agreed on. Oh, I'm an associate, so and so. I'm a-. like, but but you're right. Like at a certain level, it's just differing levels of expertise that we've collected, and in that process, yep. we give these titles that are supposed to be meaning meaningful. I feel yeah. like I've frequently fallen into the trap though of buying into that, and it's like you get into it, and you're like, oh, this is yeah. the CEO. I gotta really, I gotta, I gotta straighten my shirt and whatever. And like, I, I don't think that's worked in my favor most of the time. I think frequently I would be better if I did what you described. I just think that's easier to say than do for a lot of people.
1: It is. And I've had a lot of it. So, so I've worked on job sites with scaffolders that do the cryptic crossword every lunchtime. I know people who do the work they do because they enjoy it. And it's like, especially with craft workers and people who work with blue collar craft workers, absolutely fantastic and i feel much more comfortable in that space rather than a white collar space where everyone's pretending that they've got all this like either intelligence or prestige or all this kind of bullshit that that doesn't actually count for anything really in the long run but what you've actually got is 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 once you understand that that not everybody's People's people and, and, and especially in academia, where that I mean, it is funny that you do get people that are, that are like professors who just behave atrociously, frankly, but they think they've made it. And then they, they can treat everybody else yeah. as if they're, I mean, that that alone is I mean, I still can't get used to being called Dr. Fred because it's weird. <laughs> and and I really wish people wouldn't. And, and you feel free. Just Fred's fine. Do you mean to bleep um, that
0: out of your intro from the beginning? Yes, the thank episode? you. Yeah
1: yeah, 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 yeah. Of all the curse yeah, words, bleep we'll those, but one. I'm going
0: to bleep out we're doctor. <laughs>
1: <laughs> but I don't, I don't. I mean, uh, the the more we can get. I mean, to me, that's what equality is. Yeah. Let's treat everybody the same until they demonstrate that we should be treating them better or worse. And better, by the way, does not mean like hero worshipping or things like that. I mean, that's something I, I find that it's it's very. I'm, I'm starting to find it a little bit more, not scary. I get more perturbed by people coming up and say, Oh, I'm such a fan of your work. And I'm like, Oh my God, what the hell do I say to that? Um, and things like that. So it's, it's, it's super interesting, but you don't have to do that. Let's just hang out and chat. You'll have great ideas. I'll have great ideas. There's no need for this kind of reverent relationship. And you it's interesting, Steve, actually, because I'm not sure. How the perpetuation of that is happening and and whether the more of us maybe of sort of people that coming from my position that get into these senior roles and really want to support, lift everybody up rather than those that want to keep people down. And there are people like that in the world, you know, I guess.
0: Yeah, I mean, it it seems like you're taking this from a more of a altruistic approach of it's just the right way to treat people, which I agree with. Um, I often find what what I like about what you've just said is a slightly different reason. Like, if I Mm -hmm. hire a student, I don't really care what they call me, but we need to sort of see each other as as peers because if and when I give a bad idea, you need to have enough confidence to tell me, Steve, that's a bad idea. And if instead you're like, oh, well, Dr. So-and-so said this, that's actually bad for both of us. Like, both of us are worse by you not checking me or whatever you know just just being yep. willing to have that dialogue and I think the titles sometimes sometimes can get in the way of a good healthy sort of debate or whatever dialogue that leads to better research and that that's that's more of my reason why I frequently push back a little bit on some of the really hard terms on these things because I'm like it just doesn't help that dynamic
1: no and we can get good ideas and intra and you're right it's I mean for, certainly for students, I was always like, um, my husband, um, he used to do a really funny, so he used to teach at college, he used to teach music, um to 16 to year olds, and he'd deliberately tell them stuff that was like, not entirely right and they go really and he's like no don't believe everything <laughs> you're told and he used to do this he used to do this every year on purpose and and it, it's it's I mean I used to teach in the same way challenge me and it was ah, I'll take this is a super interesting take on this so I was doing a lecture um and um It was about health and safety, and I go into the history of legislation, where it came from, why people that were very rich and landed gentry in the UK and owned factories might not want to put legislation in place that stopped... Workers dying because that was a lot cheaper than putting the legislation and the consequence land So I was doing a lecture about that, and I think I made some poli- a few s- political comments because I obviously come from a very much union focused worker rights, mm-hmm. like the, the uh, looking for a much more equitable society than we have now. So I come from that position, and I'm doing my lecture, and then one of the students, so this was via Zoom, this was in lockdown, and nobody had turned their camera on. It was the most soul destroying thing ever god knows how y'all did it because i was deputy dean i wasn't teaching through covid i have no idea how anybody did it it was absolute like what the hell (laughs) anyway so i do this as a guest lecture favor and this student says why why did you have to put your agenda and I said, what do you mean? And he said, well, you, you were making comments about rich Tories. And, th- and this is when Boris Johnson was our I'm like, really? Anyway, so that went well, didn't it? So anyway, so, so he pulls me up on this and I said, well, that's OK. But what I want you to take away, you know my position. I bet none of your other lecturers tell you what theirs is. And everyone has an agenda, and everyone has a position that they are sharing their research or talking to somebody from everybody does. And just because you're not explicit about it doesn't mean that you don't have one. And that I think is interesting when we're trying to sort of share ideas and share things is people are doing things for their own reasons again, um, they may be good reasons, they may be not so good reasons, but it's 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 interesting that we we all do that kind of thing. And I've now completely forgotten where I started from this particular point. I still think that was quite interesting.
0: <laughs> no, it was. That's actually, I think, maybe a perfect uh, transition. I mean, the other point we want to talk about is your work is indeed social science, right? Not, 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 what you're talking about is more of people and the, and the sort of social chests of how people interact. And if I say this, someone said, like, I guess I, I wonder if you could talk a little bit about sort of um, both how you got interested in social science And as we mentioned earlier, like you're kind of a fish out of water here because I don't know that that's really like the norm in a lot of sort of engineering research. It's very quantitative. So like maybe talk about how you got into that.
1: Okay. I'm pretty sure my mother would agree. She doesn't think anything I do is science. (laughs) Um, (laughs) uh, I believe the phrase is fluffy stuff. Mm. So, um, so what, um, yeah, so. I'm not entirely sure. I'm, I'm a big people person. I love, the reason I love construction, you get to hang out with people all day and people are super interesting to me, super fascinating. And when I started out on my PhD, that was kind of a weird route that I took. So I started. I was brought like I did. I did some interviews. I think for my undergrad dissertation, which was kind of, but but dealt with in a very positivistic way. Um, so um, just, and then,
0: sorry, if I haven't heard positivistic, what what does that mean? Just <laughs> un- unpack it for so, the, for the layperson.
1: Positivism is what y'all think is science, right? It's numbers, it's stats, it's reality is. Um, fix it's an ontological realist position there is a real world out there we can test it we can know of it epistemologically through experimental form things like that so it takes things as the truth of what they are now i know for a fact that people don't work like that because i don't work like that so people are inconsistent they vary they change roles depending this is the the example that i used to give on this one is that you're not the same person in front of a class as you are in the pub totally true you're not the same person with your family as you are with your friends we people are very changeable in things which is what puts us in a more relativist ontological world where there is no one fixed truth there is no one fixed reality now engineering is super interesting because engineering concrete steel hell yeah we know exactly what that's going to do that's called physics right that's okay As soon as you add the human into the mix, things go sideways. And what engineering disciplines often do is try to treat people as if they were steel and concrete. Interestingly, cognitive psychology also does. So a lot of psych work is very positivistic, which is okay. You can do big experiments. You put electrodes on people and so on, so forth, which is all right. But things start to fall apart when all your biases start to align. You have to have paradoxes in place to explain why people behave in certain ways in certain situations. And when things get that messy, is that really useful? Nah, it's not really helping out. So, so I'm firmly in the social sciences. So I'm a social constructionist, not a social constructivist, which, again, is taking people, reducing them to the individual and examining them in that way. My point of exploration is entirely in the social. So the job site, the construction job site, how people interact, how they're making sense of different things, how they are sharing understandings of how things work in those spaces, all that kind of nuanced fun stuff. Um, So it actually came about because for my PhD, I was kind of right. Okay, I was in a really hyper-positivistic school. My my supervisor said they were still expecting me to do a questionnaire like a month from hand in. You are going to do some stats, aren't you? I even wrote a paper whilst I was uh, a PhD student that's called You are going to put some statistics in there, aren't you? And that was the title of the paper, (laughs) and it was essentially a paper, sort of which shared a number of the paper review comments I'd had, and 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 trying to argue for being a, a, a social science researcher in this very very positivistic world. Lots of social science research, by the way, is also positivistic. So I was getting even more nuanced. So in this in this kind of constructionist epistemological space, which is where I like to research, um and 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 yeah it's it's really difficult in engineering to do that but in my phd i was like right i need to research this so i found cognitive psychology oh my god i got so excited i was reading all about it this is what i'm going to do and then i realized that it just ties itself in knots in the end and also it's not actually that helpful in understand. you can understand like things like optimism bias well that's great yeah everyone tells you a job will take five minutes and it'll take three hours we all know that um, but when you start using it to try and understand collective spaces and how people work within them, it, it, it struggled a bit. So I kind of binned everything off. I actually went back to Plato <laughs> and started reading about his ideas of the shadows in the cave and how we develop knowledge and understanding. And so I had to give myself a massive crash course in philosophy um, because because I was a social science researcher, you get challenged so much more than anybody else somebody else throw a hypothesis in there do some um chrome batches alpha which is rubbish as well normally but we do do it on surveys and and um i've got a paper about that with a colleague um in one of the journals which we just said everything is biased because that's one of the biggest critique this is this is biased well everything's biased mate because you can't take that agenda you know agenda i was talking about earlier you can't get rid of that so everything's biased so you you can't
0: like, do you have any thought I'm just curious since you've experienced so Why
1: is everything biased? Well, wh- because- why is it that
0: people have this obsession with this positivism stuff? Like any any thoughts on why we're so Why? Because it's the simplest.
1: Way? It it's, it's it makes sense. It's nice and simple. Here's a table, it's a table. And there is a really good paper called Death and Furniture which is a foundational piece for um one of the for constructionist research mainly and relativist sorry, rationalist research. Um so it's, it's, it's super, Why? Well, yeah, I think, I think it's be- partly because we come out of engineering, and steel and concrete do this, so when we do people stuff, we, we try and do it in the same way, yeah. and it just doesn't, it doesn't hold water, yeah, I mean, you, an awful lot of construction research that involves people is entirely opinion surveys, yeah. It's absolutely. I mean, yay, great! And people change their mind about opinions. Sur- I mean, there's a whole problem with surveys, frankly, because how do we know what people mean by certain phrasing and words and stuff? You, you, that doesn't work either. But then we start to get into the realms of well, how else could we do it? And then you're looking at longitudinal ethnographic work. You're looking at more immersive work that nobody's going to pay for because remember, we haven't got any money anyway. So it's um, <laughs> it starts to the 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 that the, 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 if you've got a lot of nice numbers, they're very comforting. Mm-hmm. You can get nice big samples, you can do your power analyses that tell you how many people you need in this sample for this to be true, um, and so on. So it's it's super yeah, I think I think it's partly a historical clinging on to engineering in terms of what we know, but also because to do the alternative is often impractical. Yeah. It's just And like- nobody wants to write chapters on epistemology. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Most people can't spell epistemology.
0: <laughs> I, I, I'm one of those. I don't know. I'd have to go, <laughs> Google it. Uh, Did you mean epistemology? Yeah, okay, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but like, you know, some of this is is almost just deflating because it makes me think like. You know, you're submitting this paper, and you have whatever qualitative results you have from from your group, and they say, "Well, you don't your sample size isn't big enough, or whatever." But, yeah, but got the, that one a lot. But <laughs> the problem that I'm seeing with this is, look at the reviews you're getting. You're getting two, maybe three reviewers that say, "I don't think it's good enough," and their sample size of reviewers is two or yes. maybe three, and that well, that's all of a sudden that's a big enough sample to say reject it. A frequent, level, like, yeah. hold on a second. This is you're speaking out of you're speaking out of both sides of your mouth. Like, wait, wait, hold on. Yeah. is it big enough? Mm-hmm. Then is the two reviewers you have the enough on this like you know, I don't
1: know so so it's it i mean this is really interesting so this is the whole problem with peer review publications not not least the horrendously exploitative financial model well done rupert murdoch <laughs> right. but anyway so so it's it's i mean there's there's that the fact that it's two reviews so so i've just just um recently had a, a paper the first reviewer said nice paper all right that'll do that's great. I'll take that. Um, the second one gave me about three pages of stuff to fix, <laughs> some of which was just bizarre. Yeah. In fact, I got to the point where I was: Did AI write this? Because it, it's it's not making. Uh, yeah, that's my my biggest worry is that people will now just be using ChatGPT or something of that nature okay. to review papers. Not that's that, where that, we're that going to end have, up. That's, already, happen, that's, right? already, that's happening. already happening. That's yes. already
0: happening. Because I
1: am really Please suspicious no. of some of the comments that were, that I've had back recently in the past year or so, where I'm thinking this would never make sense if it was a human. So, for example, in a methodology piece, this was a paper a couple of papers ago, there was a piece, so I, I, I'd mentioned, um, the data was analyzed using um, content analysis, and I put the citation of content analysis the the method that I was using adjacent as you would so so and let 's just say it was share it for example, just to point of reference share it two thousand and six so content analysis share it two thousand and six was applied to this data, set. and the reviewer said the data was reviewed in two thousand and six. Now I couldn't make that make sense. I was like, "Hang on a minute, because that I I can understand why somebody that didn't understand the principles of academic writing would say that, but the paper didn't say that, and conformant and normal norms of communication didn't. So interesting. I don't know. That is is well sketchy, isn't it? (laughs) So I'm sure that will be happening.
0: It Yay! is a chat GPT like error. Like, cause that,
1: yeah, if, if it you, is. all
0: you were doing is what language is most likely to follow the previous. That right. kind of makes sense. Right. If you don't think any yeah. deeper than that. Yeah.
1: That's what I think it was. So anyway, so I'm suspicious of that. But you also, it really depends on who you get. -hmm. Whether they'd had I've I've had paper reviews that read like they were written on a phone in the back of a bus going over a very potholed road. I've read reviews that get weirder the further down the glass of wine the reviewer got. I've had I mean you can tell those, you can tell and, and, and this is this is the ridiculous game we play. I mean academia is often is often likened to two bald men arguing over a comb because the stakes are so small. I don't know if you've heard that analogy, but the stakes are so small. Um, but we get so furious and so pedantic about it. Um, and, and, and paper reviews, it really depends. So stats were, I know several journals where the statistical work will get a much lighter touch than the social science work really. because social sciences, particularly reviewers, tend to like, oh my God, I've got a social science paper to review. And they rip it to shreds, right? And you're like, I have seen papers in this publication with the shonkiest stats I've ever seen, but they just get waved through. You mentioned culture or something like that. I mean, I had a great paper. It was too funny. So I made the mistake once of quoting Karl Marx in a paper. Do not ever do that. (laughs) Because I only wanted one thing of his, one tiny little thing. And I built, I hung the whole other theoretical argument off this. The reviews come back. You have not engaged with post-Marxist theory oh, by this person, this person, this person, right? That would be a book. What do you actually want me to do here? I, I would you not leave me the indulgence of hanging this on one li- I can't even remember what the phrase was now. But it was, it was absolutely farcical. It was, it was frustrating. But this is what happens, Steve. And, and the, the, my advice to everybody, Every paper has a home. You just haven't found it yet. Do not get despondent if stuff gets rejected. Uh, Read the comments carefully as to why, because it might be, unfortunately, that you've not hit the right journal, that there is something wrong with what you're doing. As a reviewer, I always try and be incredibly constructive in what I'm doing. Everybody doesn't, by the way. There are academics. And again, this tying in with ego. And I understand why there is a lot of imposter syndrome in academia. Because a lot of people use their position in academia to make themselves feel better by punching down. And that's what you end up with on papers. I'm anonymous. (laughs) Uh, This is absolutely rubbish. Why are you even thinking this? You're so naive. This has been disproved. Or even funnier, somebody's already proved this. Well, have they? I can't actually see that happening in practice, and stuff like that. So it's yeah, it's it's a weird space. And 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 people, for example, that like I've certainly had reviews of people that I presume were PhD students that are just absolutely brutal. And I'm like, your review isn't even accurate. <laughs> and the best ones, my favourite, are the ones that say. You didn't cite these papers and they're all by the same author yeah, So right. I wonder I, yeah. who did the review
0: that stuff is, I hate that, that yes. I that's... I've talked to some researchers. I won't say the names, but I always think it's clever that they said, "Okay, good point." I'll cite them. They cite all those, and then when they do the proofs, they say, "I made an error." and I take the citation. out, out. <laughs> and it's just like a middle finger. <laughs>
1: that just is a me to really self-sight. big win because everyone's just there puffing their H C's yeah, and right, right. all this crap. And it, yeah, it's it, academia is entirely a game. It really, really is, and 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 it's one that. um I, I mean, when I was Deputy Dean, I developed a whole um, early career researcher plan with flow charts of how you aim for those four P's. Yeah. And so how you can optimise each area to keep balance so your profile will progress. And I do career coaching for academics because it is a game yeah. and you can play it. But you've there, there are some things that you really you, you need to be aware of. But I think stepping back, one of the most important is that, 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 that nobody's better than you. Yeah. There's no, they're better. I mean, what does that even look like? People have written more papers, but then have a look at, if they're all in journals that start with the word frontiers, then I ain't gonna.
0: <laughs> <Shots fired. laughs> Shots fired, that's right. I'm only
1: saying that because they keep mithering me to be edit guest editor or something, and I really don't want to. Um, and when we, when we start getting into like true pay to publish situations, it's, it, those are, those are even more worrisome. So it's, um, yeah, it it is a game, and you can play it, but you but again, you've got to have the motivation to do so, and that comes from being integrally involved with something you really care about, and that can just be. Do you know what? That can be teaching. God, I used to love graduation day. And, and I taught for, for about 10 years and, and unfortunately students nowadays, well, they won't turn the camera, I die. And, and yet I can only do something for so long. It seems about 10 years is about, I could do construction for 10 years. I could teach for 10 years and now I'm just retired. No, I'm not, (laughs) but you, you see where it's going. So, so I think it's, it's, I mean, I used to adore seeing my students graduate. And you can take so much delight from that, that you have helped somebody get their next step. I mean, that's wonderful. What a feeling. Um, so that that's another amazing thing about academia, that we do have the privilege of being able to support people as they get on with what they're doing in their lives, um, which I think is absolutely great. So but you, you, in terms of research, funding, getting those elements, you've got to find something that will keep you going.
0: I wonder if we can start to shift to some of the the fun part of this in terms of uh, our oh, questions okay. for you. But but before we do, I wonder. It was make all sure fun. It was you... all fun. He didn't mean. that. <laughs> it was no. I'm... It's been fun. It's been fun the whole time. No, no fun. Fun <laughs> that was is a terrible transition. Fun in the sense of less seen. less intellectually. I have to say that, and also I'm really interested, like. I, before we get there, I would love to just ask this as a sort of pseudo intellectual: If you had to give advice to junior folks out there now, like mm-hmm. what what would it be? Was it resilience or pick passion? I mean, it just seems like you've had a lot of things that I don't know made you sort of survive have a strategy. Through. Yeah.
1: I mean, I mean, for for all those who can't see me, I have far too many tattoos. I mean, I, I'm in real life. I look incredibly. Um, sc- you might cross the road, if you, <laughs> you <come in>. but <laughs> depending how much beer I, I have. Um, but yeah, Brian will.
2: For sure, I've done it. <laughs> yeah,
1: yeah.
2: <laughs> I've done it. At conference.
1: <laughs> <laughs> oh my god. So so I mean, bit bit but on paper. I look really. It's strategic. You have to be strategic about what you want to be and where you want to go. And I remember back in the day when I was a senior lecturer, uh, which is associate prof. Oh, everything's all a bit not yeah. lined up. So, so I was I was just one above a baby lecturer, right? So second job, in, second job in whatever y'all want to call that. And um, and I printed out the criteria for prof, and I worked to them. And I looked at what I was doing. Where could I put more energy? Where could I put more effort? What do I need to do to make this happen? Do I have gaps in my papers? Maybe you hate writing papers. If you hate writing papers, find a friend that loves it. You do the data. They do the paper. Win-win, right? Collaborate, collaborate, collaborate. You will not do it on your own. Um, I think you should also think about what it is that is your raison d'etre. What makes you want to get out of bed in the morning? and be as true to that as you can um, i think be be network like hell i mean i joke that i'm i'm where i got where i got by being good to drink with um, and i am excellent to drink with um, <laughs> <laughs> that's true as well bit, bit, <laughs> thank you <Brian. laughs> And um, but what's really important is you get out there be and and, and if if you are the sort of person that, that that's really scary be aware by the way that I went to my very first conference on my own nobody from my university no faculty support no nothing first year PhD student and I went to that conference and I was going to fix safety culture do you remember so I was going to fix safety culture I had a paper in and I I remember there was this guy and he was like the senior lead of this culture stuff and I knew he'd done it and I, I was so pleased that's so why so I stood there like a lemon waiting to speak to him and then I told him what I thought and he just looked at me and said Oh we've done all that and I very nearly walked out. That was nearly me gone. And if it wasn't for the absolute Kindest heart in the world in Professor Alistair Gibbon. I know I don't need to name drop, but he's getting a shout out. And he sat with me and said, what is it you're doing? Because so he knew it was safety and he's a big safety researcher. And he sat down, he spent half an hour talking to me. And I felt so blessed and so completely revived. And I was like, you know what? I am going to do this and I'm going to do this because it be a big F you to you. The professor that told me there was no point doing what I was doing. So if you, I mean, if you can draw on, if you have anywhere in you a well that says, "I'll show you," <laughs> tap it. Just pure spite. <laughs> just being a bitch and, <laughs> and and use that passion in a way to say, "Do you know what? I can do this." And I, and I think that's important. But my my biggest tip is strategy. I'm afraid, which sounds so corporate and so not Fred, and it's so funny that I say this, but that is actually how you do stuff. Yeah. And and I think it's really important. And and I love working with students. I love doing PhD workshops. I love doing coaching for early career researchers and stuff like that. It's something that I'll always take time out to to to, to help folks with as as they need it. So find yourself a good crew. That's what you need to do. You need to find your people. Find your network.
0: This is a little bit outside of this exact anecdote you shared, but based on what you said earlier with, you know, people kind of being in positions of sometimes of power and sometimes Mm -hmm. being a jerk. Oh, for sure. I do wonder if in part... It's not just that they're, you know, a bad human being or something, but instead because they've been in their silos and they've been consistently right with their advice, they, they just get the data, I'm right, I'm right, my ideas are right, my ideas are good, and it creates <sighs> this inflated sense of, oh, I'm probably right, so I should tell them this, whereas what you just said was work with others. Like the times I yeah. often feel, I don't want to say the dumbest in a bad way, but I just learn what I don't know is when I work with others. And I'm like, oh, there's a whole yeah. thing you do for, I don't know, any of this. And it's it's humbling in a way of just like putting you in your spot of, Okay, you know your little lane, but there's a whole world that is completely foreign. But I feel like that leads Mm -hmm. to some of those, like you said it in terms of being good to have a beer with, but like recognition that, yeah, you know a couple things, but there's a whole lot you don't. And I think you're right that that's super important.
1: And it's the people that have swallowed the Kool-Aid that they think, yeah, I've got a PhD, I'm now an expert. Uh, yeah. I mean, people people that introduce themselves so that have their LinkedIn profile that says thought leader. Yeah. Like, <laughs>
0: really? Yeah. Okay. Oh, gosh, no! well, that's a fantastic point. Okay. <laughs> Who could describe yeah, yeah.
1: themselves as a thought leader? Oh, piss off. Anyway, so anybody with that level of arrogance, I'm, I just can't get on with it. I mean, it's bizarre. There's two things that a person I think needs and what we need more in the world right now, humility and compassion. More of those two things make a better person every day of the week. Um, so I think it's, uh, yeah, it, it, I, I, I quite often just go on LinkedIn so I can laugh at what people oh, say about themselves because it's hilarious.
0: Yeah, yeah. I mean, you, I don't disagree. The thought, <laughs> I hadn't thought of a thought leader one, but now that you said it, I'm oh, gonna be that's searching for funniest. that.
1: the funniest. That one just makes me laugh so Not much. More. I mean, people, somebody said I was one and I, I, I really literally had to stop my tea coming out my nose. I was like, yeah, right, of course. <laughs> But nah, nah. Don't and don't ever take yourself too seriously. That's another thing people do. Just don't. And nobody is thinking about you. They're all probably thinking about themselves. So you're fine. Yeah. That was another nice realization.
0: That's what, <laughs> honestly. That's what saved me from the imposter syndrome. Is that no yeah, one yeah, cares. Yeah. Nobody like, cares. Like I was worried that, way. and I'm like, I don't show up on their radar because I'm not at that level of important. It doesn't matter. You know, like we, we all don't really matter that much.
1: People, no, we don't. And people who actually do make it a thing are the ones that are thinking about themselves yeah. much more <laughs> right. than anybody else. So if you're the sort of arsehole that actually cares about status and stuff like that in terms of value in the world, yeah, you're probably thinking more about yourself and what everyone thinks of you than you are about anybody else. So the rest of us sane people don't really need to worry about it. That's
0: true. <laughs> I love it. This was great. I, 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 this is, let's let's do some fun. I, that was fun. Let's do some further fun questions yeah. that are. <laughs> okay. Let's continue the fun. Okay. Less intellectual, Over time. I, I, I should have. The I, fun was a poor choice. So, Brian, you want to start us off? All right. Okay. So, quick questions. Don't even
2: really think about it. Whatever pops up. Oh, your no. Head, right? This
1: is where it could get dodgy. No, 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 no. Go on. We, everyone's
2: already formed their it's opinion better. about you by now. Yeah. So, <laughs> <it does. laughs> nothing you can say will, will matter. Um, right. Okay. So, Talked about some larger failures in your career and along the way and decisions that you made. Um, can you think now a little bit smaller, a little bit closer to home? What was one micro failure that you experienced in the last week? Something small, of little consequence, but that we might learn from. Micro failure.
1: <laughs> I told you I'm shit at this. I-
0: Buying a house, really? I feel like that's always that's always ripe like for mistakes. Yeah, like, like accidentally it. buying because a house, that yeah, feels like maybe a
1: <laughs> that could be true. Macro failure, um, that was. <laughs> yeah, I don't. I I I I I, I don't know. Oh, I'm, see, I told you, I'd be shit at this. I'm not very self-reflective. Um, I also c- find that's problematic. C- c- I'll, I'll, if it just keep going. I'm like a shark. Keep going. They can't hit a moving target. <laughs> just forwards, forwards, forwards.
0: I'll pose um, one to you that if I can if I can suggest oh yes, please, based please, on our early, please, so I Take understand when we started this you took I think three times to join our Zoom session to
1: oh yes the audio, no right? no my computer hates and Zoom
0: we, we're coming out of years of COVID of Zoom era I, I oh, would yeah. have expected us all to be pros at Zoom at this point so it oh, so could be a no, big well, micro failure
1: yes they're, they're, I, I seriously do fail on tech quite a lot And oh, oh no I do have one I couldn't join the ASSP because it tells me my it, qualification doesn't count so instead of being mature and rational and emailing them with an inquiry i just shut my computer down and swore a lot oh so (laughs) so that was a fail so i've not managed to do it. not that they'll have me they won't have me out of after this podcast anyway but um (laughs) but yeah everything to do with tech mainly probably all
0: right i'm asking one that i don't know about you so this is more selfish because i'm curious what is something in your life that you spend too much money on it but you don't care because it brings you joy
1: too much money. Uh, books.
0: Books. Okay. Any specific? Kind I buy an of awful genre. lot of books.
1: Oh, fiction. Oh, I like. Um, oh no. So, so I read as a bubble bath for the brain. So I can't. I, I can't. I don't read anything serious. Or I, I like things where somebody's got to die fairly horribly and usually fairly early on. Um, and I like the new genre of fiction that's just three titles, like she was gone or. Oh. <laughs> The Evil Wife. or de, de, de. You see them in Target, right? There, I I bloody love those books. I can chew one up in about a couple of hours. Absolute guilty pleasure. But I probably spend too much money on them. A Although answer. I have it, there's a really awesome second bookshop here that you can go and you can take them all. So I don't, I'm, I'm not like building. When we moved here, oh my God, we had 10 bookcases uh, full of books. So now I have a storage unit full of books in England. Oh but I can just take them back and get store credit. And yeah, it's going well. But that's what I spend all my money. I, I, I love reading.
2: Okay. All right. This one will be interesting too. Uh, Cause I have no idea where we're going to go. I don't know one. where we're going to this. Game. Okay. So uh, if you had a time machine and you yes. could go backward or forward in time to anywhere for two hours, when and where would you go?
1: Um, um,
2: past future.
1: Oh, past. Obviously. Okay. Definitely past. I'm not going to the future. I don't want to go to a, Planet on fire. It's <laughs> run by robots. Um, <laughs> where would I go? I would go to the Pira Palai Hotel in Istanbul. At the same time, Agatha Christie was staying there while she was writing her novels about. Um, so, so they came to Baghdad and Murder on the Orient Express and all of those. And I would have tea with her in the Pira Paul Hotel in Istanbul. Wow,
2: that was hell. That's a cool answer. Yeah, <laughs> that's a great answer.
1: That's the beauty of
2: that. Is that specific? You
1: only gave it. me two hours. Like I what? mean, what, what? I mean, wow.
0: <laughs> that's, that's what I do. How about last but not least, what's the f- okay. what's your favorite part of your career that has no real place on your CV? <laughs>
1: um, <what's, laughs> I can tell you an answer to this. I am not saying in public, but I might share later. <laughs> um, the other thing, that, what did I use? Do you mean like an element of what's in it or a job that I had? or
0: Maybe more of like what what brings you joy about what you do for a living that like just it's not a line. It's not a pub. It's not a grant. It's not a teaching evaluation. Like what about what you do makes you love it in a way that it doesn't have that tangible listable quality?
1: Um, people and places. Having met so many wonderful people all over the world. Academia, I, I had no idea when I became an academic the fact that I would see as much of the world as I have. I have been so privileged, so blessed. I've been on every single continent apart from Antarctica. Um, I've had, yeah, it's, it's been an absolute Privileged delight. I cannot justify the um, the long haul flights by the fact I haven't got any kids, so that balances out in an equation somewhere, I'm sure. Um, so, um, but I think, and all the people I've met from all over the world, I think that that's absolutely wonderful. And I think my my gran was big on travel. And she always, um, even in the 50s, she was a single mum to four kids in the 50s, she still made sure people traveled. She went to Egypt, like back in the day when nobody else did, and on her own. She ended up on a bus with some woman and they she was English and the other woman was from somewhere else. And the only language they had in common was Latin. So they spoke Latin the whole trip, which was really interesting, weird and also cool. Um, But I think travel is super important if you do it mindfully and if you actually do it to get in amongst it and you go and see how the world is. And I think from a safety perspective, this is so important that we are not in a little bubble of how things work, um, which is why I've written work around decolonizing research around actually doing things that matter in the right places. So that's my, my favorite thing has been the, the absolute privilege of seeing the world, but also trying to then do something positive about that.
0: Well, that's great. I have to say this has been genuinely fun. We ran long and I don't care. We like this is one of the, oh, really, I'm so sorry. I really I don't care. I would I would have cut it off. I, I've genuinely enjoyed this. I, I you're a person that I just find intriguing and that's part of the the that's, <laughs> that's part that's of right. the hand trick of this whole thing, right? I do this and this is all some but right now it's three of us. Someone else will hear this later, but it's a real joy. So thank you Fred, it really it's, it's been a lot of fun having you're you. You're so on. welcome. Um, I'll owe you a beer. How about that is our next day? I need to no, thank you for, for taking sure. some time. So uh, we'll, we'll celebrate <laughs> sometime. One will not be oh, enough. Yeah. Is that right? Okay. thank you no. no thank
1: you for that <laughs> that's comment, cute that you think right.
2: that but <laughs> 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 you will owe her more than one
1: it's all so, right we'll do happy hour it'll be fine that's the only way i can afford to drink in boulder anyway I mean, right yeah,
0: a place. well thanks so much
1: <laughs> you're very welcome
0: and thank you all for joining us uh you know we will catch you on the next episode of prophecy hour.